Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have your company. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We will cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Josh Hannay, former Cowboys great who has gone on to enter the world of coaching, who became the interim head coach for the Cowboys after Paul Green left, then found himself in a very similar situation just a few months later at Cronulla when John Morris was let go. He's now the assistant coach for the Queensland Maroons as he joins Billy Slater to try and stop the Blues from winning back-to-back series this year. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Josh Hannay. I'm joined by Josh Hannay as the next guest of the 6 Go podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you, mate? Hey, Tom, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, mate. Really happy to have you on, mate. I've got six topics to cover with you today, and I'll kick things off with last year at Cronulla. Sounds good, mate. John Morris, let go at Cronulla. Uh, you're announced as interim head coach. First of all, can you tell me what your initial reaction was when that happened? Um, yeah, I guess uh, surprise was the initial reaction. I know, like I knew from the moment I, I signed on uh, with the club, um, John's situation. You know that he was he was hopeful of securing um, an extension, and and that I guess that whole situation was up in the air. The club hadn't committed one way or another at that point, um, so I knew essentially what I was walking into from that regard. Um, and then, you know, the season started and uh, we started okay. I think we had two two wins, two losses out of our first four games and um, we were doing okay. And uh, at about that point, around round four, things started, just more noise started to, I guess, um, become around the situation in the media. And I know, um, just talking to John himself, that things are starting to come to a head. So... Again, at that point, I wasn't sure which way things were going to go, but it did seem like things were were coming to a head. And so when the decision was finally made, I think it was on a Monday, um, we got beaten by the Roosters on the Saturday night. Um, I think the decision was made Monday. Um, I got a call from the club to say that, um, yeah, the decision had been made to let go of John uh, effective immediately and that um, I'd step in as his interim head coach for the rest of the season. So... We played Newcastle uh, on that Friday night. So basically, uh, we had the entire squad had the following day off, the Tuesday. So I didn't really get to uh, have my first training session with the group until the Wednesday. Um, so it was all, as those things tend to be, it was, it was a fairly whirlwind sort of period. Um, and, and it does, I guess, expose the the cold nature of, 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 of what we do. Um, you know, one moment you're with the club and then the next you're not and, and, and everything just um, changes in, 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 a, in, a, in a moment. So change things change for John Morris and his family in a moment. Things change for me and my family in a moment. And, and I guess for the playing group at large and the, and, and the, and the entire football department, really, it's a, it is a fairly um, um, drastic thing to happen at a club during a season. But... It is something that is part of our game and, and, and I'd had experience with it, obviously, the, the year prior at the Cowboys. Can I ask, when you found out the news, was there was there a player you called or talked to first and what was that conversation like? Uh, there wasn't a player I called. Um, the first, um, my first port of call was the staff. I, I spoke to the other two coaches, Daniel Holdsworth and Dave Howlett, um, who were both existing coaches, um, just to, 
bring them up to speed. Uh, obviously, uh, they'd worked under John, and, and when you work under a head coach, you, you develop, a, I guess, a relationship with that coach and a, and a sense of loyalty. And um, and so they were the first two guys I, I called. And in my brief time at the club, I, one thing that held me in good stead is I'd, I'd build up a strong rapport with all the staff uh, within the space of about four or five minutes, uh, four or five months, sorry. And and likewise with the playing group, um, you know, I, I built up a, a really strong rapport with the group quickly. And um, so it was it was just important for me to, to, I guess, have that initial conversation with the staff. And um, to, you sort of talk about moving on, but by the same token, you also got to be respectful to the situation and the individual and John Morris who'd just been let go by the club. And um, it, it, it is a delicate sort of time, but um, by the same token, you need to move on as quickly as you can if you if you do want to try and salvage the season at that point. Was there a sense of nervousness when you addressed the team for the first time? Because I can imagine it's it's got potential to be quite deflating when you get the news that the coach is gone. Yeah, certainly there is uh, um, a sense of the unknown. Like I, when I took over from Paul Green at the Cowboys, I was, I'd been at the club for a number of years and was, I guess, part of the furniture up there and uh, everyone knew me within that organisation um, and I knew all the players really well. So at, the, at Cronulla, as I say, I'd only been within the organisation for about four months. Um, so I was relatively new. Um, but as I say, I think I felt like in that brief period, I, I, I had earned the trust of, of everyone within the organisation, players and staff alike. And um, when I had to address the group at large um, for that first time, I, as I say, it was it was an... It was slightly awkward because I knew John was a John Morris was a um, a fairly popular coach. Like he, the players had uh, a lot of respect for John, um, and he'd done a you know he, he had a, a reasonable level of success at the club. And I knew he had certain players within the group um, who had a real affinity with John and and and, and, a, and a real sense of loyalty. And and I wanted to make sure. And and, and again, this is the delicate nature of the situation that. In my address to the group, it it wasn't about you know what's happened's happened. We've got to move on. You really do need to be delicate. And for some guys, that process happens a lot easier and a lot a lot smoother. And and, and for others, um, it, it would have been very jarring because, as I say, there was a deeper sense of loyalty towards John for certain individuals. So for me, it was really important that I showed that understanding of of. Um, the varying dynamics within the group in terms of their sense of loyalty to John, but also be really firm and really strong on uh, the need for us as a collective to to, to get on with life um, and and really focus on, on the on the job at hand. And, and I must say that we were very unlucky not to beat Newcastle that first game. There was some Callum Ponga sort of brilliance on right on full time that um, beat us, and uh, you know the players responded to their credit uh, enormously well. Um, that 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 first game of mine in charge, but um, yeah, that 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 first discussion is a really important one because it's you, you only get one chance at uh, having that that first discussion, right? And you need to really impart your, I guess, your, your strategy and your vision and, and what you and your way forward onto the group in a, in a manner that's both respectful and and a manner that they they feel like yeah, we can trust this guy and he's gonna, I you know, think everything's gonna be okay. So I was very mindful that. I, I had one opportunity to, 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 I guess, get my pitch right and 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 get the group on board and um, and I think ultimately you look at the season we had, 
um, and the way the players responded and, and, and played, um, I guess, under my coaching, I, I certainly feel like I had the players' trust, yeah. You're right. Uh, Ponga was brilliant in that round uh, six game, 28-22 uh, or 26-22 it was. And, um, but after there, you lost a, a few more in the row. But then after that, you won four in a row. So to be able to get back on track, sort of. what what You've, you've been in that situation twice now. What lessons have you taken out of to sort of galvanise the team for the rest of the year? Because I'll admit, when, when it all happened, I sort of put a line through Cronulla for any sort of relevancy. But you only missed the eight on four and against. Yeah, I think naturally um, everyone's assumption, when I say everyone, experts, fans, probably even, um, the, well, the feeling was they're okay, Cronulla. Because they're already going into the season. I, you know, people's opinions of you, you take with a grain of salt, right? And everyone has their predictions for top eight, and bottom eight and all that. But even coming into the season, there was a sense that Cronulla um, last year was going to be the year that they finally hit that wall and and really sort of fell out of top eight contention and 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 you know I know prior to the season starting people had us pitched as a as a bottom four possible wooden spoon footy team and then obviously with the decision with John Morris that only I guess heightened that sense that yeah Cronulla are just going to go get off the rails here and it's going to be a, a, a fairly dysfunctional year and and, a, and an ugly year and. And, and those first five weeks probably only fed that that belief. Um, the one thing I, um, you know, I I learnt and what held me in really good stead, and probably from my experience at the Cowboys was um, second time around was just being true to myself. I think I knew going into the Cronulla situation there was essentially a full season left. Whereas when I took over at the Cowboys, it was mid-year, um, not a lot of, you know, not as much time. But I guess. Um, um, implement the things I would like to implement. Um, whereas this time with Cronulla, I felt like I had more time. I had more time to to be myself, and um, and the journey was a little bit longer. And 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 one of the very first things I said to the group on that initial address was, I was going to be the the same person I was as an assistant coach. I was going to be authentic. I was going to be true to who I was. And the only request I have of the playing group, you as a player, is as you remain authentic and. Um, and I think that held me in really good stead and held us in really good stead for the duration of the year because it was a simple request. Um, I didn't ask the players to work harder. I didn't ask more of the players. I just wanted the players to be real and be genuine. And, and they had my word that that's what I was going to be for the duration. And, and I think through that, we built a really strong bond as a, as a, as a staff and as a, as a playing group. And we were able to pull together after that five-match losing streak um, to start my tenure and throughout that period uh, you know as I say I remained myself I'm, I was calm the whole way the players I never got a sense that the players um, were broken or that the players had given up or the players had quit on themselves or on me or all the staff I've always had a sense that it was going to turn and, and we were, the camaraderie within the group was just too good for it to, to not turn at some point we, we just had to really weather that initial storm and, and you know, there's so much outside noise, there's so much negativity. Around that same time, we were in the market for Adam Reynolds and, you know, when we didn't sign Adam Reynolds, people just piled on even more and yeah. the noise at that time, the negativity was, was, it was insane, you know. It was just, um, there's some journalists down here in Sydney who claim to be Cronulla supporters, but sometimes the way they report, you've got to, you've got to ask yourself whether they're supporters or whether they're death riding us, but at that time, it felt like the walls were just closing in, you know, and that, you know, geez, this, we are going to run bottom four. We are going to run last. But 
Um, as I say, what held me in really good stead is I never wavered and, and needed the playing group. And, you know, I was really grateful um, to, for them for that trust and that persistence that they had. There's been some notable rule changes over the past 18 months. Are, are we in a better place now, do you think? Um, time will tell. I think, I think the game um, is still trying to work out the best balance in terms of it's clear right that they wanted to um, a couple of years ago bring in some rules to to speed up the game to bring more fatigue into the game bring more points into the game bring more flair and entertainment to the game that's what the, the rules they've, they've brought in at, um, are designed for that to, to bring our skilled players our little players our quick men into the game so I, I don't necessarily know that they've got the balance right I think our game can I think it can get a little bit messy and get a little bit too fast and, and, and we need to be careful that it doesn't become a glorified game of touch. Um, I think one of the great strengths of our game and what makes our game so um, so great and what, what makes what, what makes people want to watch it and bring, brings people to the stands is the, the physicality and the combative nature of rugby league. It's one of the most physical sports there is in the world. It's It's truly a a combination of speed, skill, toughness, physicality, brute force, all those things. Our game um, demands that from you as a, from the players, you know. And I think if the game gets too fast, it'll just become a game for little men and, and it'll become these 30 to 26 scorelines every week. And, and, and sure, you know, tries are exciting and, and people love watching skilled players um, get a chance to, I guess, demonstrate that skill. But... We also need to make sure the game doesn't um, leave the toughness and those tough guys to the side because I think that that's part of the fabric of our game. So I think the game's still trying to get the balance right. I, I don't think as of yet the balance is right. I still think um, it, it's it's gone too far the other way and that it's just really built at the moment, our game for those little men. I think you see clubs feeling okay about... Um, debuting and blooding young players more than ever because the physicality's gone out of the game, right? Like you Sam Walkers and all these little men that once upon a time, probably 10 years ago, you would have tread really carefully about introducing a, a player of that size and, and that inexperience because the game was so physical. Now there's it's getting harder and harder for our big men in our game to be to play with that physical intimidation, if you like. So I think we need to make sure that, and the game needs to make sure that you know we continue to get the balance right, and that we don't we don't lose the fabric of our game, which is which is that tough, physical, you know, um, no holds barred um, style of, style of sport. I, I know that coaches would like as many interchanges as possible. I didn't come down in the last shower. Uh, where could the game improve as to what constitutes a free interchange and what doesn't? Yeah, so I think. One good rule change that they've made over the course of the off-season is is the free interchange rule when um, if a player was put on report for for what was perceived to be foul play, um, a team could a team could um, replace that player that um, was hit high uh, with a free interchange. So that became because there's so many players put on report each game. So every time a player was put on report, the other team could use could take the, the, uh, the opportunity to use a free interchange. So it was getting, to be quite honest, ridiculous. There was um, 
I reckon there would have been games where there was five or six extra interchanges in a game based on the free interchange rule. Um, so what they've done there is they've changed that rule and, and you can only um, use a free interchange now if a player is actually sent to the bin or sent off for foul play. So this year, um, if the player's put on report, you can no longer, I guess, expose that free interchange loophole that existed um, the past couple of years. So I think that's a really good rule change. Um, and I just think um, it'll, 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 it's a way of stopping clubs manipulating that rule, right? So I just think, um, yeah, I think the clubs identify, I think the game, sorry, has identified that. The clubs are manipulating that rule, and I think the rule change they've made there is a smart one. Moving on to Origin, uh, when do you start breaking down last year? Uh, I've already started. Um, you know, I caught up with Billy, um, Cameron and JT. We had a Zoom meeting a couple of weeks ago now and just talked about, um, I, get, I guess, getting on the front foot in terms of being prepared for game one and what the camp will look like and um, where we see... Uh, I guess best utilising each other's skills um, within that within the within the coaching setup, if you like. So, I think given the the given the um, the lineup of coaches we've got, it's probably pretty obvious as to which departments of the game each of us will be working in. Um, so the, the discussion was was more around um, the camps moving forward this year. In terms of last year, I think. Largely, it's a, it's a new um, coaching staff. JT is the only holdover from last year in terms of coaches. Uh, myself, Billy, and, and Cam are all new to the the uh, scene this year. So I think I think we'd be loath not to uh, you know look at last year and, and really um, analyse the three games and, and and Queensland's performances and New South Wales strengths, which which we're doing at the moment as coaches. But we'd also think need to be careful that we don't harp too much on last year. I think. Last year, from the outside looking in, it just seemed like a series where nothing went right for Queensland in terms of... Obviously, there was the behavioural stuff. There was players being unfit and not available and not being able to train all week. There was the Ronnie Militalo stuff, Reese Walsh. There's so many things that seemed to go wrong for Queensland last year that, um, that I think contributed to the performance. So I think, for me personally, like I'll be looking closely at the New South Wales team and their strengths, which they have so many, and and just really trying to make sure when we do get into camp that our guys are, are well educated and really well prepared on 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 those those quality players that New South Wales have, and and how we how we can best um, negate their influence on the game. Last year, Queensland had a lot of uh, injuries and um, unavailabilities in the outside backs, in particular. Reese Walsh was tossed up as an option. A lot of people said he was too young. That was the main criticism of him. Uh, just as a general premise, where do you stand on the argument of someone being too young for origin? Yeah, I've probably got an interesting perspective on that, given I was picked when I was 16 um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, you know, I, I remember at that time, you know, that was um, 26 years ago now, but I, I, you know, when you're a teenager, you're, you're bulletproof, right? So I felt like... I was ready, you know, and, and when I got selected, it was, it was like, yep, I'm ready for this. And I didn't ultimately play, but on reflection, I, I don't think it would have been the right thing for me to play. And I think I think you need to be really careful um, when and how you expose young players to, to NRL or state of origin. I think 
Um, as I say, the game more than ever um, currently is a game that lends itself to those smaller players. It's, it's not as physical. You, you, I guess you can't sort of... The, the, the physical guys can't intimidate those smaller players now like they once could. But, and I also think the other point to, I guess, take into consideration is exposing a young player to NRL is different to exposing a young player to, to state of origin. There's no... There's nothing compares to state of origin. You can play the hardest game of NRL you've ever played in your life. It, it doesn't prepare you for state of origin. So I do think it's a, I do think it's a different kettle of fish exposing a young player to state of origin, a, an inexperienced young player, not only to state of origin, but you're throwing them in at a time when the, the opposition is so dominant. Um, you, it probably would have been a different story, you know, five years ago. Of, when Queensland were humming and you, you, you try and blood a player in that environment where you, you're coming into a group that's winning, it's confident, that's on top, you can kind of get shielded a little bit, but I, I'd be loath to really um, expose a young player um, at the state of origin level um, at a time when, when the opposition's so strong. I just think it could um, do more harm than good, but... Um, you know, Reese Reese will get an opportunity this year to, to again show his talent, and if he starts the year off really well, um, his, his name will come into the contention again because we just purely don't have the depth at Queensland that New South Wales have. So we need people to stand up and play well and put their hand up, and Reese will do that again. And you'd like to think a year down the track he's a little bit more mature, both physically and mentally, and would be more ready for the occasion. I think this time around than say he would have been 12 months ago. There's a guy at the Broncos who I have no doubt there will be at least one journo writing an article this season about him being a potential bolter for Queensland this year, and that's Selwyn Cobbo. Have you seen much of him play? And uh, if so, origin, obviously, in his future? Yeah, I, I from afar, look, I, 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 he looks to me to be a, a player of enormous talent. The way he moves... Um, he, he just looks a, a, a wonderful athlete already at a young age. He's had some moments in NRL where um, it just makes you sit back and go, yeah, this kid's got something. Um, obviously, haven't worked with him, haven't seen him day in, day out, and what he, the way he prepares. But um, from what I've seen on the field, he's he looks to me to be a super talent. Um, and I think what his best position is moving forward, I'm not sure. People who spend more time with him would have a better idea of that. I I think for Queensland's sake, and there's a real lack of centre uh, talent and depth at the moment within the Queensland ranks. And I think, um, you know, he's obviously played centre at the NRL level. And if he could continue to develop um, and, and, and reach that ceiling that I think undoubtedly he has, I think he potentially could, could fill one of that, that void that Queensland currently has in the outside backs. I'm not saying that that happens this year, but I certainly think of the, the, the options that Queensland have at the moment, he'd be someone that's on the radar for the future for sure, I'd say. You're a centre yourself, so you're probably the best person to ask. Since GI and Hodges, um, Queensland haven't really able to been able to get any continuity at the centre position. Gagai's always been in the team, obviously, but he's been on the wing at stages as well. Uh, how important do you believe it will be to pick centres who actually play centre at club level um, or are you comfortable having guys that play other positions? Because we have had a bit of stop gaps at stages. Yeah, I, I guess um, where the stop gap, I guess, selection probably theory comes from is, 
I guess the idea that at club level there's there's there's, there's no options. There's no one putting their hand up. So I, I think ideally you're always picking people in their favoured position, um, particularly when you're again exposing them to that level which state of origin is. Like you want people coming in that have been playing uh, a certain position at the club level and you're just wanting them to replicate that form in the same position at state of origin level. But I think unfortunately for Queensland in recent times, there's just been an absolute lack of uh, depth and lack of options uh, in the centre position. And as I say, there's there's hopefully and potentially a couple of of young guys on the horizon. Um, This year may come too soon for them. I'm not sure. The opening sort of 10 rounds is going to be I guess, give us a real uh, indicator as to, to whether some of these young guys are ready or not. But, uh, yeah, absolutely, for the past couple of years, we've I think it's probably been the, the biggest gulf between New South Wales and Queensland in terms of you, you look at position for position. I think I think we line up pretty well um, across the board, but certainly you look at their centres and Tom Trebojevic and Latrell Mitchell, um, both playing out of position, but obviously their fullback um, has sort of... Uh, Tedesco, that they they've got to find a position for for, for both Latrell and, and Trebojevic because Tedesco is so good. Um, so that's you know it, they've got so many options there in New South Wales. Whereas us at Queensland, we don't have that luxury. Um, and, and and probably it is the one part I would say when you look at the two teams where that's the glam, most glaring difference at the moment is there's a real advantage there for New South Wales at the moment. So. You know, for me, if you're if you're a young Queensland centre or outside back at the moment, I'd be looking at, you know, the depth or the lack lack of depth that Queensland has in the, in the centres, and you'd be you know t- seeing a real opportunity if you put your head down, work hard, and, um, and 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 get the most out of yourself. There's absolutely an opportunity at the moment to to force your way into that Queensland team in the centres because it just there is a, there is absolutely a lack of depth there at the moment. You mentioned them there. New South Wales will almost certainly pick Tom and Latrell at centre. Um, they're phenomenal. Uh, what Can you talk me through a couple of tactics you can use to try slow them down? Because you're not going to stop them. But what, what what can you do? The kicking game must be vital. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I think... I think there's such transcendent talents, Latrell and Tom, that... Um, Often, Santa needs the people inside him to to create the opportunity, right, and create the space and to create the room to move for for a Santa to be able to, I guess, show you know show what they're made of or show what they're capable of. But those two guys, and I think their full backgrounds as fullbacks really helps them in terms of Santa play at Origin level. They don't just sit out there on the on an edge and wait for the football to come their way. They because they've played fullback and that position is all about going looking for the football and um, popping up on different sides of the field, they 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 really um, they're sort of multi-dimensional threats, if you like, as centres. In that they don't just sit on the left and they don't just sit on the right. They go looking for the ball, and um, for that reason, it just it makes them such a threat. And I just think defensively, you know, you need to be really aware of of their strengths of different players, Latrell and Tom, the, the, the different builds, the, the way they beat a defender is very different. The way they carry the football is very different. And, um, you know, it's stopping them is, is, isn't an easy prospect, but I think certainly one of the things that helps is field position, right? And holding on to the football, having a, a good kick chase game. And um, it's harder to, 
as an outside back to come out of your end than it is attacking the opposition's end. So I think field position and possessions are real key when you want to try and negate those attacking threats in an opposition. And um, that would be a good starting point for us this year when we play New South Wales is to try and really dominate those parts of the game. But they're such talents that um, they're going to have an impact on a game and, and across the series. They just are. They're, they're too good to keep out of the game. Um, we just need to try and make sure we're doing our best and it's up to us as coaches to implement a plan that gives the players an opportunity to try and negate, as I say, their influence on the series. This isn't the first time you've worked with JT. Of course, you guys played together. We all see him on screen now, but can you take me behind the scenes? What, what's his, what was he like as a player to play with? Yeah, I think, um, firstly, to play with Jono, um, you know, obviously it was, it was a... Um, it was a privilege, right? He was such a... Until he came to the club, uh, with all due respect to the halves that I'd played with previously, I'd never played with a half that had such uh, vision, creativity, the ability to create space. As I spoke about earlier before, as a centre, you generally need the people inside you to, to help create the room for you to, to do your thing. And, and Jono, was, Jono was just a different... Um, level in terms of that ability to, to create space for, for people around him. So um, he was still such a young player, though, when I, when I played with him. He was just really arriving on the scene, um, and he was such a precocious talent. At that point, um, you know, he was it was all about the talent. The leadership qualities in him hadn't arrived yet. You know, he was a young kid, um, just enjoying life, enjoying rugby league, and, and he was so good at it. And then... I got to witness the leadership qualities in Jono when I went back to the Cowboys as a coach in 2017. Um, the back end of his career, with all due respect, but by that stage he'd become the, the leader that we all um, saw at the back end of his career. He was a wonderful leader, um, led by his actions. He was, he was a very um, passionate leader, the way he spoke with the group. Um, I think he, he, he was able to inspire better things from, from those he played those he played with. Um, he demanded the highest standards and, and I think I think we probably all underestimated I think we all knew that when um, Jono was going to retire that there would be a void there. He was such a such a huge figure both on and off the field for that club. He, he almost he almost was bigger than the club. Um, and I, I think everyone knew there would be a void there, but I, I still probably Ultimately, when I look back on it, I think that the club possibly underestimated just how big that void would be in terms of his his on-field um, performances, his leadership, his off-field leadership, the confidence he gave others, the standards that he set day in, day out um, around the organisation. I think when he moved on, um, the slack wasn't really picked up by anyone. And, 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 and I think... I think the club's still trying to, to you know, rebound from, from JT's retirement up there um, some three or four years later, yeah. Have you worked with Billy or Cam before? You obviously would have played against them. I I coached Bill. I was involved in the Origin setup in 2018. That was Billy's final series. Um, and I've, um, I've played against Cam quite a bit, but never, never worked with him in a coaching capacity. So that'll be a first, but... I think coaching Billy in 2018, it was it was obvious that uh, he had a real um, a real high footy IQ, and that he was um, whether he was going to get into head coaching when he retired, because 
you've got to be a little bit crazy and sadistic to get into head coaching, and it's not for everyone, but he certainly had the IQ and the, the nous and the know-how to, if he wanted to go down that path. I think well, certainly in 2018, I was just blown away by his understanding of the game, and, he, and he's, he was, in a way, coaching even then. Caelan Ponga came in as a young player in 2018, and I'd, I'd sort of oversee and overhear Billy talking to Kalen about fullback play and just giving him some little tips um, at that stage that um, he's just got that nurturing nature, Bill. So um, I've got no doubt he's going to do a wonderful job as coach of Queensland. I know he knows that um, our work is cut out. We're, we're playing a formidable New South Wales team that's one of the best that they've ever put on the park. But I think I think he's very confident, as we all are, in, in, in his own... Um, Qualities, Bill. I think he. I think he's very confident in his own approach to coaching and approach to the game and his own ideas around the game. And I think he's a really smart appointment um, for Queensland. And I, I think um, you know he's determined, uh, you know, to take the challenge on uh, head on. You know, I think he's very aware of how tough it's going to be. But I think he's up for the challenge. Yeah. Josh, finally, I'd like to know what your goals are. You're the assistant coach of Queensland at the moment, but is your goal to be a future head coach in a club? Um, it's a good question. I, I get asked this a lot, obviously. Um, having been exposed to head coaching the last two years, I um, I, I know I could be a head coach today, um, given what I've experienced the past couple of years and the job I was able to do uh, with Cronulla last year under, under the circumstances. Um, both the told and untold challenges we faced last year. It was it was as difficult a year as any coach would have to um, deal with at any point in their career, um, let alone a, a relatively young coach um, in myself. Um, so that experience has given me great belief in my ability to be a, a long-term head coach. Um, the one thing I do know in, in the immediate future that I, I, I'm hungry for is success. And when Craig took over here, uh, I sat down with Craig only a couple of weeks ago and we spoke about things and, you know, I just um, said to Craig, well, for me at the moment, um, I just want to be part of something successful. I want to be part of a program that's successful. Um, I want to work with a playing group that just want to come to work and get better every day. And I feel like at the moment that's the situation I'm in here at Cronulla. I, I love the playing group we have. They're a wonderful group to coach and I feel like we're, we're set up for some 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 long-term success here. So, um, so that's probably where my head's at the moment. In the immediate term, I just I really do want to see out um, things with Cronulla here and 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 get help get this club and this group to where I think we can get to. Um, do I think I can be a head coach? Absolutely. I feel like I'm ready and I could be a head coach today. Um, but whether I'm not in any rush, um, I, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't want to force it. Um, I'll wait for the right opportunity to come along. But in the short term, I'm very happy here at Cronulla. Are there any coaches that you've been able to significantly learn from since retiring as a player? Um, not, not really. And I'll say this, and I, you know, I don't want to sound like a toss here or a, right. or a shark hole. But I, again, I had this chat with Fitzy the other day, and I, I've got to say, you can tell he's had a really good grounding as an assistant coach there at the Roosters, and. Um, you know, he's ready to be a head coach and a good one at that. And again, that gives me such confidence and belief that not only do we have the roster here to be successful, but we've got a head coach in Craig that um, is the right person um, to get the best out of this group. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot under Craig. We've only been working together for four or five months, but I, I do, you can tell he's had a really good grounding and learned under a really good coach in Trent Robinson there at the Roosters. And he's had a, he's been exposed to a lot of good coaching, Craig, over the years with his involvement with Australian teams and New South Wales teams. And he's worked with some of the best players. And, and you can tell he's, he's, he's very well-rounded and ready to be a head coach. So I'm learning off him all the time. Um, apart from him, a guy, and it wasn't a coach, um, you know, that... I reflect on my time as a player and, and, I, and I carry, I guess, some of his ideas with my coaching. It was actually a trainer in Billy Johnson. Um, in my time as a player, no one had a bigger influence on me or I've not seen anyone have, a, in terms of a coach or a trainer, have a bigger influence over a group than what Billy had over us when he came to the Cowboys. And it was, it was just a lot around accountability, um, hard work and, and honesty. And, and while he was a trainer, I've certainly... Um, I saw the impact that he had on a group and, and the impact that his morals had on a group, as I say, accountability, honesty and hard work and dedication. So kind of applied that to my coaching because oh, I actually see real value in that um, as a coach. So um, it probably been used to Billy that um, I, I, I sort of see him in that regard. But, yeah, he I certainly got a lot out of out of him in my time as a player and, and as I say, the impact he had on the group. Well, Josh, that's all I've got for you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been great. Hopefully it's not the last time. No, I appreciate it, mate. I've really, really enjoyed it. You don't really get too many opportunities to to sit down and actually reflect on things and, 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 and um, I guess, chew the fact. So I um, really enjoyed the opportunity to, to, to have a chat, mate. Big thanks to Josh for coming on the show today. He's someone who's held in very high regard across the NRL community, and I'm sure he will be very successful in the near future. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at T Canfell, and don't forget to give the 60O Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 60O Podcast, and that is full time. <laughs>